1: Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. This is Joey Bushnell. I'm very excited to introduce today's special guest. His name is David Allen, and he's the author of Getting Things Done, one of the world's most famous time management and productivity books. Go to davidco.com to find out more. David, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Joey. David, how did you come to write the book Getting Things Done? Well, I spent about 20 or 25
0: years actually doing the work that was the foundation for the methodology that I put together. So it really was writing a manual after all those years. It took me 25 years, as I said, to figure out what I'd figured out and that it actually was unique and nobody else had quite done it that way. And it also took that long for me to feel really comfortable that it was bulletproof. You know, I tested it, you know, cross culture. I tested it with all kinds of people from CEOs of Fortune 50 corporations to kids (laughs) to to everybody and you know basically couldn't punch a hole in it you know so once I once I trusted that it really really did work and that people really still needed it I said I better in case I get run over by a bus I better put it in writing somebody might figure it out at some point but um so that that was really the prime driver
1: and you've also written several other books since then based on the core ideas in getting things done as well
0: yeah, I mean it's you know what's fascinating to me, Joey, is is how I could still kind of make a living and 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 keep doing what I'm doing for 30 plus years with the 12 things that I know. <laughs> you know yeah. How many how many ways can you spin it? But I'm sure you know the same is true for you know the the, the core elements to good marketing or anything else. It's, it's it's really how how many ways you can spin it and how deep you can go with it. So you know you, it is as as simple as the model is. It, you know it really is a lifestyle and a lifetime kind of craft to get really good at how you manage sort of your work and life in that way
1: well the book changed my life David I used to find myself getting very stressed overwhelmed and just not getting enough done each day that I would have liked to have got done I know that having spoken to other friends who are also business owners as well they find themselves in a similar position too so I think this is something that is pretty universal. And a lot of people are really struggling with this. So in your opinion, why do you think that business owners tend to find themselves getting stressed and getting overwhelmed? Well, first of all, you're not going to get rid of challenges
0: and you're not going to get rid of of stress in the positive way. I mean, if you didn't have challenges, you'd never grow or expand or express. And also your competition would have to have it just as easy as you. So. You know, I don't kid anybody that you, you don't get rid of the kind of challenges that a business owner or an entrepreneur have to deal with uh, in terms of, you know, making it in the world. Uh, that's going to be a challenge. What you want is to be able to be in the driver's seat about it. It's kind of like you got you might be out in a sailboat and in stormy weather, so it's a challenge, but you want to make sure you don't let go of the helm. <laughs> in other words, you, you need to stay in control and in the driver's seat of what you're doing. So a lot of my methodology was how do, how do you get sort of on top of that game so that you're appropriately focused and appropriately in the driver's seat with your hand on the helm. And I think that's the, that's the big key. And, you know, in a way, the, the, the issue for business owners and entrepreneurs is no different than the issue for most everybody on the planet, certainly who, who are trying to get things done. And that is most people are still trying to use their psyche as their system. And your psyche, your head is a terrible office. It really is. So, you know a lot of my message i don't know how long I'm going to keep preaching this is just, "Hey, guys, you've got to get it out of your head. It's a really crappy office. If you're just trying to use your head for strategy and for thinking about what you need to do and to try to get rid of the pressures, that won't work because it's not designed for that. Your head is for having ideas, not for holding them. Mm-hmm. and you know that the the cognitive scientists in the last ten years have have you know have done all kinds of research to validate. You know, what GPD and the getting things done methodology really figured out from the street, which is get it out of your head. So any I've never seen anybody, and I've dealt one-on-one. I've spent thousands of hours with business owners, literally sitting desk side with them and having them just dump their head. Hey, what's, what do you have your attention on? Well, oh, I got the bank thing, and I got this thing, and I have the competition, and we have the product, and we have the launch, and we have the advertising, and I've got this staff thing. And Great. Get it all out. Once they get it all out, they kind of look at it and and they feel both relief and and angst (laughs) because they're going, oh my god, look at how many things I've got my attention on and have commitments about. Yeah, no kidding. You know, people get mad at me for their list. I go, I'm sorry, ain't my list. (laughs) You know, it's yours. You know, your your choice is what you do with those commitments. And most people have internalized those instead of externalized those. And you need to build an external brain.
1: So it's having all of those things stored up in your head that is actually creating the overwhelm. You just feel like you've got a never-ending to-do list.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, here's the problem: is if you're just trying to keep track of something in your head, mm-hmm. uh, that, that part of you that's hanging on to that is hanging on to it, and it's taking up space that's not available for other things. So there really is just limited psychic space. You know, it's psychic RAM, which can fill up and choke <laughs> choke the system. <laughs> you know, if you do that, and also that place seems to have no sense of past or future. So if you tell yourself you need to hire somebody and they, they, you keep telling yourself in your head you need to hire somebody, you need to hire somebody and that's the only place you're keeping track of that and reviewing it, there's a part of you that thinks you should be hiring somebody 24-7 all the time. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you file two things in your head that you, you know, that are unfinished that you have your attention on, uh, and that's the only place you're tracking it, you've created instant failure and stress because you can't do them both at the same time and there's a part of you psychologically that's trying to.
1: You mentioned in the book that there is a power in not breaking internal commitments and agreements that we make with ourselves. So what are the emotional benefits of not breaking those commitments, and how can we present ourselves from doing it?
0: Well, you know, the, 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 the main downside to breaking an agreement is the disintegration of trust. That's an automatic price you pay. When you tell yourself to do something, you don't do it. Uh, you automatically lose your own self-trust. You know, if you tell other people you're going to do something and you don't do it, you automatically lose their trust. There are people I love dearly, but I wouldn't trust further than I could spit, you know, to show up when they tell me they're going to show up based upon data. (laughs) They they didn't keep that agreement, so okay, then I don't trust them. It doesn't doesn't mean I don't love them anymore, but it means I I lack trust. So the self-trust is really the price you pay when you break an agreement with yourself. And if that's true, and all these agreements, most people have on a clue of how many things they've actually agreed with themselves about. It's all their woulds, coulds, shoulds, need tos, ought tos. And that's what I've spent thousands of hours, and my staff, my coaching staff have had as well, literally getting people to just objectify all the things they, they've told themselves they ought to, need to, could do, everything they have their attention on about that. And most people are, are you know, a bit blown away by how much that's, there's really there. Now, you know, those are agreements you can't, you obviously can't go finish those 150 things or those 25 big projects or whatever all at once. So the best thing to do, if you didn't want to break an agreement, you've got three options. One is, the first option is don't make the agreement to begin with. So a lot of times people dump stuff out of their head and they go, that's a dumb idea. I'm really, when I look at all the other stuff I'm going to do, I'm not going to do that at all, <clears throat> you know, which is, uh, you know, great. You know, say, so, hey, just take it off your list. You know, most people are 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 a bit spoiled, thinking they they can do everything. As I say, you can do anything, but not everything. So just being aware and being more mature about what your inventory is and what you actually can handle, that's a that's a smart thing to do. So that's option one. It's just don't make the agreement. You know, or unhook from it. Uh, another option is go finish your agreement. Go. Go do the stuff you tell yourself you're going to do. You need cat food? Go buy cat food. You know, you you want to go hire somebody? Go hire somebody. So you know, as you know, those are your better days when you actually finish a lot of things you told yourself you want to do. So completing things is another way you 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 know complete the agreement. And here's the other and the third one, which is the, probably the most critical one to be aware of, which is if I agree with you, hey Joey, I'm going to call you at 9 a.m and something comes up in my world and I can't keep that agreement, then obviously the thing for me to do is to contact you and renegotiate that agreement. Hey, Joey, can we make it some other time something else came up? If we renegotiate the agreement, then it's not broken. All all that big thing I just said is why you need to write it down, look at it, and go, not now. Mm -hmm. And so you can only feel good about what you're not doing when you know what you're not doing. So a whole lot of, you know, it's not really about getting things done. I mean, believe it or not, here's a big secret, and I'll only tell you, and of course, the, the smart, savvy listeners to your program. Uh, but getting things done is really about getting appropriately engaged with everything about your work and your life, so that you can become present, you know, with whatever you're doing. Which is really the optimal way to do anything is is present. So you're fully there. You're in your flow, and full, you know, being appropriately engaged. You and I. How many things are you not doing right now because you're talking to me? Lots of things. Yeah, me too. So the the only way we can be present here in this conversation is if some part of us has looked at all the rest of it and said, "Hmm, Nope, that'll wait. (laughs) You -hmm. know, talking to Joey is the best thing for me to do in my life right now. Mm -hmm. Now I need to know what that is. If I hadn't. You know, if I hadn't kept everything out of my head and looked at it every few days, you know, in some detail, then there's a part of me that's going to just walk around with this kind of an angst, and I I won't even know what the source of it is. I'll just feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So shutting that up really is is uh, you know a master key to how do you start to get control and start to you know be able to be in control and appropriately focused on whatever it is you're doing, whether that's playing golf or writing a business plan or you know, doing a marketing plan. You know, you want to be able to be there fully. So, you know, that, that, that doesn't solve the problem of the, what do I put in the marketing plan or my business plan, but it allows you to be fully available, uh, you know, so you can access your intelligence and not, not be distracted. And, you know, I think that's the, that's the, the, the master key to productivity. And it also means appropriate engagement with all of those things. You just need to look at them you know, on some regular basis and go, okay, that's okay. Oh God, that reminds me, you know, ah, oh, that's right. I ought to, and it's that kind of thinking. And everybody does that kind of intuitively and instinctively, but usually they do that when the, you know, when the pressure gets really bad, but I've never had anybody in the 30 years of the plus that I've been doing this, who who started to write it all down, take a look at it and didn't feel at least slightly more in
1: control and more focused. I guess the great thing is when you get into the habit of this, and you're consistently getting things done, like you said before. If you break commitments, you lose trust in yourself. But after a while of, of of practicing this, you'll get a really positive reinforcement that you are the kind of person who is reliable and gets things done. And surely that's got to do wonders for the psyche. Oh, it's huge, yeah. And that you know that takes a lot of
0: forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I usually respond to. Virtually every email within 24 hours, sometimes 48, sometimes 72 if I'm on a real roll doing something else. Mm-hmm. But my backlog starts at zero and I get it back to zero pretty fast. And people pretty much then don't send me trash because I respond. I, I'm a responder. I, you know, they, they, they get feedback right away mm-hmm. from that. So, you know, it, it not only builds trust, it also builds a, uh, there, there's a, there's, there's something that's been recently, you know, called psychological capital. Mm-hmm. You know, and psychological capital means I'm, I'm feeling optimistic, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of in control of my life, I, I've, I've got hope, I've got direction. And that's a very, very powerful state to be in. And when people see that you have that, you know, that your equity goes up in terms of their perception of value to you, their, their interest in communicating with you, you know, all that good stuff.
1: One of the main concepts in the book is something you call mastering the five stages of workflow. Is it okay to go through that, please?
0: Sure. Well, first thing you got to do is capture anything that might potentially be work. So that's the the first stage is collector capture. So that's like write it down. Uh, And then the second stage, uh, you you can't just leave one stage. Otherwise, it'll kind of back up on you like bad plumbing. Uh, But once you write it down, then you need to then go through each one of those things that has your attention and then clarify exactly what you're going to do about it, what the outcome is, what the action step is, if there is any. So the, that's, that's the executive thinking about the notes that you took in the meeting or the, you know, the things you wrote down on your list. You wrote down bank. Well, what does that mean? What's the outcome you're after? I need to see if I can extend my credit line. Great. And what's your next action? Oh, you know, I think I should call Bill Smith and see you know, what he did with his bank. Good. Well, now you have an outcome. Now you have an action. But those don't show up by themselves. You actually have to think through the stuff that you've captured. So stage two is a clarification or processing. Essentially, it's emptying your in-basket, not by finishing the work that's in there, but by defining what the work is specifically in there. You know, is this trash? Is this reference? Is it something I need to just review later? Is it actionable? And if so, what are the outcomes and what are the action steps? And those are the the basic executive decisions you would make about what does this stuff mean, you know, that I've now captured. Stage three would then be to organize that. And by the way, between stage two and stage three, you actually, you know, that's where the the, the little magic two minute rule sits. You know, and that's where once you figure out what an action step is, if you can actually take that action step in two minutes or less, you ought to do it right then because it'll take you longer to stack it and track it and review it than it would be to finish it the first time it's in your face. So just cleaning up your in-basket, both your email in-baskets and your physical in-baskets, if you hold the two-minute rule, you'll actually get a lot of stuff done and make a lot of progress on a lot of things. You'd be amazed how many things that the action step is actually could be finished in less than two minutes, assuming you have decent keyboard skills. <laughs> That's also where you, where you delegate. So once I pick something up and I go, well, wait, this is going to take longer than two minutes to do, great. Can you give this off to somebody else? And that's also where you'd want to hand it off, you know, in some, some sort of systematic way. So going through from stage two to three, what you then organize is the, the the what's left. You know, what I need to organize are the things that I need to keep track of, the projects I've got, the action steps I need to take that I can't hand off or can't finish in the moment. And that's where I need to organize that. And basically you need to organize everything that, that – you know, you need to keep around you or that has value to you. So your reference material goes where that goes. Trash obviously goes in the, in the, you know, in the recycle bin or the shredder or wherever that goes. And actionable things then need to be parked somewhere that they remind you appropriately. So where do I put a list of projects that I've got? Where do I put the phone calls, uh, reminders of the calls that I need to make? Where do I put reminders of the stuff that I want to talk to my banker about when I sit down with him or her? Right, so that's where you're, now, now that I'm defining what, what moves the needle on all the actionable things I'm committed to, then I need to make sure those are parked appropriately in some appropriate place so that I don't lose them and my head doesn't have to take it back. And that's the organized phase, that's stage three. So now I'm organized, I've captured everything out of my head, I've decided what it means, I've parked it in appropriate places, then stage four is I need to then engage or, you know, with the, with the material, I need to make sure I look at my list. I need to make sure I look at my categories of things that I've held on some regular basis so I keep it current and keep the larger perspective. So that's the review stage. That's stage four. And review takes on lots of different levels. You obviously need to review your diary or your calendar, you know, before you start your day or the night before. You need to review. You're, you're at a phone. You, you, you have you have you have a smartphone and you have some time and you're waiting on. You know you're you're at a Starbucks and you have some time. I need to review my phone call list to see. You know if there's something I could be productive about while I'm waiting on somebody to show up. So that's the review phase, and that takes a lot of different levels, as I say. But then after all that, you need to engage. Stage five is basically how do I now allocate resources? Do I go have a beer? Do I go to my computer to draft a document? Do I go to sleep? So that's where engage once you've done all that. So the best practice of all of those is to have, as I said, have captured everything, make sure it's not in your banging around in your head. If you decided what specifically what those things mean, once you decide what they mean, park them where those things go, and then make sure you engage on some regular review process with all of it so you feel comfortable about what you're doing and comfortable about what you're not doing.
1: Okay, David, in this second stage, the processing stage, what options do we have there? In the book, you have a really nice diagram, which makes it very visual. Um, so could you try to describe for those listening, what are the main options we have when it comes to stage two?
0: Well, your first question is, is this actionable? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the first thing to decide. Are you actually going to do something about whatever it is you wrote down or this email? So that's the first distinction you need to make. That's the first decision. Is it an actionable? Well, actually, the first decision is what the hell is this? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. What is this email? Why does it have 14 attachments to it? And why did they send it to me? And is this a CC to me? Is, what, what is this? So believe it or not, actually, that actually is something you need to, you need to clarify. So the first thing is like what the heck is it that mm-hmm. I've captured or I've, I've collected or that's come to me into my in basket? And then, then the critical decision is is it an actionable item, yes or no? Now, if it's a no, that, no, there's no action on it. Now you have three options of no's. First of all is, it's trash, or, you know, I don't need it, or now that I've seen it, I don't need it. So that's one option. Another option is, mm, no, there's no action on it now, but there might be later. I, I need, I, I'm, there are other things pending. I can't make the decision about this right now. Uh, let me see it in a week, or two days, or two months, or the beginning of next quarter. And that would be the incubate. So it could be something that you decide that there could be potential action, but not now, but then you need to make sure you revisit it in some, on some recursion. So that's, you know, number two of the non-actionable. Number three, the third thing is basically reference material. It's no, there's no action on it, but it is information I need to keep because I might need to access it for some reason. So if it's non-actionable, it's either trash, it's incubate, or it's reference. Now if it is actionable, then you have those two key, two key questions to answer about it. And that's essentially the zeros and ones of productive work, or what's the outcome I'm committed to, if any, and what's the next action required? So outcome and action become the, the, the core elements, really, of productive engagement. What am, I, what am I moving toward as some final outcome, i.e., you know, project? Is there, is there a project here? Um, and, you know, if it's more than one step, we call that a project because you might do the one step and then get distracted or go on to other things, and you've still got some open loop. So defining the project of actionable things, if you have one there, and most people, by the way, have between 30 and 100 projects, if you consider, you know, that simple definition of more than one step things that you're committed to finish within the next few weeks or months, and include personal as well as professional. So that's your next holiday, it's getting tires on your car, launch the ad campaign, hire an assistant, you know, research a new uh, mobile phone app, you know, those are all Uh, I would consider those projects, and most people have 40, 50, 60, 70 of those. So, defining those things, that's, you know, if it's actionable, is there an outcome I need to capture? And of course, you know, getting things done, you need to define what does done mean. That's the outcome. And then what does doing look like? In other words, where does doing happen? What's the very next physical, visible action you would need to take to start to move the needle on that? Is that a phone call to make? Is that an email to send? Is that a document to draft? Is that a website to surf? You know, what the, is, that a, is that a conversation you need to have with your life partner or your banker or your assistant? And defining that, okay, I've got an outcome and now I've got that next action. So those, those are the real key distinctions about actionable things. Sure. And then, then you wind up with projects and, and actions. And most people have, you know, 150, 180, 100, 200 next actions if you really did this inventory completely. So those are, that's what, that's, that's how you, those are all the executive decisions and then that starts to define for you the, 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 how you organize that because you, organization just simply means that where something is matches what it means to you. Which begs the question of what does it mean to me? (laughs) So, you know, I just answered that. Okay, it's a, it's an incubate. Okay, I need you to put it where incubate things go. Uh, that's, there's a project embedded in this. Great, I need to capture that where I've got a list of projects. Oh, there's a phone call I need to make about this. Great. I need to park that where uh you know where I see a list of phone calls to make.
1: And are you doing this digitally or do you like doing it on paper? Uh
0: well I do them both. If you can't do it low tech, you're gonna have a hard time doing it high tech. So because you need to understand what the functions are. So once you understand the function, you can do it low tech, mid tech, or high tech. Now the truth is I, I I do a lot of pen and paper in capture because you know the batteries in pen and paper you know last a long time and you don't need to plug them in and they're pretty ubiquitous so <laughs> you know you have you know good thoughts occur in the strangest places so i'm you know, a lot of my capturing is is the the on stage 1 is done low tech with pen and paper just because it's so ubiquitous and so easy though you can capture you could call your own answering machine call your own voicemail you can Siri yourself a note to, into your email i mean there are a lot of ways that you can capture with the technology now uh, but that's, so it kind of ranges over there, but mostly I use pen and paper for that, for that piece. Uh, obviously a lot is, a lot of it is digitally being collected through social media or through email. You know, if your email's getting LinkedIn notices or it's getting, you know, Facebook requests and things like that, all that is coming in in digital form itself. That's just by its very nature is. But that's, you know, that kind of ranges around that. Usually the question comes down to how do I organize that? And, you know, to a large degree, you know, most of these categories are lists and that's how I keep track of those. And right now I'm, you know, uh, I'm keeping track of that in we use Lotus Notes in our company. So my, my lists are within the task function of Lotus Notes. Uh, that then also, uh, you know, replicates or syncs to my, uh, smartphone. Right. So that, you know, I, I have, but I've done all of that. I, you know, I carried a an elegant Danish loose leaf planner for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So you know, planners. A lot of high tech people actually are kind of going back to planners now, paper, because they found that the the paper is a lot more obvious and kind of actually fits the way your mind likes to see larger contexts of things and relationships of things. Computers kind of tricky about that.
1: I guess the key thing is just making sure that you do do it, whether you prefer digital, paper, whiteboard. It's just making sure that you actually do that processing stage. Sure. And, and you know, you,
0: you need to then obviously have, once you organize this, it needs to be accessible somewhere that's easy for you to, to have accessible. So the technology has certainly made that easier on your smartphone to be able to keep lists and things like that so that you can and synchronize those in different places. Uh, if you don't need to see a reminder of something other than where you have a whiteboard, then whiteboard is fine. Uh, but again, there's a big difference between capturing ideas and deciding what they mean and organizing the results of that.
1: So on to stage four, reviewing. In the book, you talk about a six-level model for reviewing your own work. So could you explain a little bit more about that, please?
0: Yeah, I couldn't get it any simpler than six. If, if you think about the different, I call them horizons of your commitments mm-hmm. or horizons of focus. Uh, you know you've got a commitment, Joey, to, to to be a good human being or to be some sort of a human being or to maybe do something on the planet. So that's kind of the big the big uh, commitment. Why, why do you exist? What's the purpose? Mm-hmm. or you could do it on your company? What's the purpose of your company or your organization? so the big the big why that's like, why do I exist? What's my ultimate intentionality? that's that's one level. that's kind of a top level there that of, of, of your priorities. You wouldn't want to be off purpose. Right, in terms of either as a human being or, or as a company. But then you need to get more, you have more operational levels of that too. What, what, if you were fulfilling your purpose wildly successfully, what would it look like? And that comes down to what I refer to as Horizon 4. So I've labeled these Horizon 5, four, three, two, one, and ground level, sort of in the new vocabulary. It's more, a little bit more global. So if you think about, you know, a levels of a, in a building, you know uh, the, there's a ground floor, and then there's you know floor one is the next stage up, and then floor two and two, three, four, five. So at the top level, let's say fifth floor, that would be purpose. Fourth floor would be what would the vision look like if you were fulfilling a purpose? long-term goal, in other words, what's the picture five years from now? When you grow up, what do you want to be doing? And so that'd be another level of commitment is to be fulfilling that commitment. And then more operational at level three, if you come down to that, then it's like, well, what do you need to do in the next three to twelve to twenty four months? What are the objectives you have or the goals you have that you need to achieve that you think will move you toward your vision? It's another level of commitment. That level three is oftentimes what you see in company plans, their strategic plan or their operational plan or whatever. They're looking at a year or two. You know, what are we trying to accomplish? But then you have to come down to level two that says, yeah, but we got to make sure this enterprise is healthy and balanced and, and and maintains itself so we can move forward. And that's the level of maintenance. Those are the things that you need to – what are the things you need to maintain so in a company you need to maintain public relations and marketing and sales and operations and finance and admin and executive functions so these are these are the things that you need to make sure that you maintain at certain levels of standards so level 2 really is a lot about what's your kind of what's your job description what are all the hats you wear what are all the things that are your areas of focus and responsibility or accountability personally that would be how's your health and vitality how are your relationships how's your household how's your creative expression how's your career you know, any and all those kinds of things. So level two actually is what drives a lot. That's why you have a lot of projects and why you do a lot of actions is because you've got areas of accountability and focus. So then you come down to level one and say, okay, well, what do you need to finish about all that? And that would be projects. And level one would be all your commitments you have. As I mentioned, you got most people have 40, 50, 60, <laughs> 70 of those. And then what are all the things you need to do? About those projects, and that's where you get down to the ground floor, which are all the actions you need to take—the phone calls, the emails, the talk tos, etc. And most people have, you know, a couple hundred of those. So I couldn't get it any simpler than that. Those are very six very different levels of 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 conversation with yourself, and there's six very different levels of content. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your strategic plan looks very different than your job description. Yes. And you know, is one better than the other? No, they're kind of equally. You can only do things down on the ground floor. Uh, all those other levels are help to give you direction and help you set priorities. And do you work top-down when you're doing this or bottom-up? Well, I personally just I focus on whichever one I need to focus on to get it off my mind. Mm-hmm. In other words, when I'm playing with my dog, I don't want to be thinking about my strategic plan. I need to have already thought about it. So there's no really better or worse. There is a hierarchy there. Obviously, my actions should be fulfilling my finishing projects, which should be, you know, or, you know, maintaining areas of focus, which is also moving me toward my goals, which is going to help me fulfill my vision, which is going to be ultimately aligned with my purpose. So ideally, all these things will line up toward the top level. Mm -hmm. Um, The the, the truth is, is that you, you can't do anything except on the ground level. So no matter how important your strategic plan is, you still have to bring it down to So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do against all the other things you have? And ultimately, I've never seen anybody be able to create any formula other than trusting their gut, their seat of their pants, their liver, their their spirit, their heart, or whatever it is that that kind of that still small voice that you trust when you just make a, a judgment call, you know, based upon that. Ideally, you want to have had all of those conversations. You and your life partner have talked about where you want to be four years from now. Uh, you and your company have talked about, you know, your your strategic plan and your your own performance goals, uh, you, you know, and all of that tied back to what's really, really important to you. Where do you, you know, you don't care where you live or where you work as long as what's true, you know. So those are those are, you know, you kind of bounce all around those things. There's not necessarily a um, a linear sequence of how to how to think through those. As I've said, it's oftentimes easier to start. Getting control on the ground level and the and the first floor. In other words, if your if your projects and your action level is out of control, don't even try to be thinking you can do much thinking or or much good work on any of the other levels. So you need to feel confident that you can execute, you know, on direction. So as I say, it, you know, how long does it take you to change a goal? Oh, about half a second. How long does it take you to learn to execute seamlessly? It takes about two years, mm-hmm. you know, to get really good at the GTD methodology if you're really good. Uh, so th- that's why we teach and train a lot and coach a lot, uh, a lot. In a, in a way, it looks like we kind of start bottom up. Hi, what's that piece of paper on your desk? Hi, what's that email sitting in your computer right now? Why is it there? What's your next action? And once you actually start to do that and once you start to get control there, it, it becomes a lot easier to allow your thinking to, and it will automatically start to elevate to some other levels once you get that under control.
1: You mentioned that you can only ever do things on the ground level. So let's explore that a little bit further if we can. How do you decide which actions to take when it comes to the in-the-moment, daily-level, near-term kind of tasks? Well,
0: <laughs> you know, the, the, da- the daily dance is between three things. Mm-hmm. There's all the predefined actions. You know, here's all the phone calls and the, the computer actions and things like that. I've already defined that I need to do, and those are on my lists. Then there's all the stuff that that is unplanned or unexpected. Those things that uh, I get a phone call I didn't expect, or you know, I got an email I, that was quite a surprise that now you know put a spin in my in my day. That you know, for either good or or challenging reasons, for whatever reason, but unexpected. Now you're dancing between those, but. The, the unexpected stuff, if I, if that comes in, in order for me to feel comfortable that, hey, I now need to focus on that instead of all the rest, I just need to know what all the rest is. Mm -hmm. In other words, I, I need to make sure that my list of defined work is complete so that I can assess the new stuff against that. That's why the third thing that I might be doing is cleaning up my backlog. And zeroing out my in basket and my in and my email. Why? So that I can trust that I don't have a bunch of stuff lurking in there that I don't know. See, the bigger your backlog, the more uh interruptions will bother you. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, I, I got 3000 emails and a bunch of stuff. Crap, I got to do inside of all that, but I don't know exactly what it is. Oh, damn. Somebody just walked in my office. Mm-hmm. But if you got a zero backlog, somebody walks into your office. And go, hi, what do you want? What can I do for you? How can how can you influence my world? <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's why when I'm not doing anything else, I'm cleaning up backlog. But that takes, you know, 30 to 90 minutes a day mm-hmm. just to do that, uh, just to make sure that that backlog is cleaned up. Now, a lot of work gets done there and a lot of thought and a lot of executive thinking happens while I'm cleaning up that. So it's not like I'm sitting there like some, you know, dumb robot cleaning up my in-basket. There's a lot going on while I'm doing that. But that's still just part of your work a lot of people complain about email know oh, my you know the, I, I don't I have to say after hours to clean up email I'm getting, you're de- dealing with email is your work if you shouldn't be getting it you shouldn't get it stop it if you should then you should you know then it's that's that's how the world works these days
1: in the book you also talk about something called the natural planning model what is that and why do you recommend it
0: well years ago I, I you know, spend some time thinking about, well, there's, what's the best planning model? And there seemed to be a lot of different ways that people tried to manage projects and planning. And, you know, I don't know whether it took me hours or days, I don't really remember, but I sat down and said, well, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're planning all the time. I mean, we plan this call, we planned how to get dressed, we planned what to eat, we planned where to go. We're planning all the time. I mean, the most brilliant planner in the universe is your mind. You couldn't stop planning. If I asked you to stop planning, you plan how to do that. So the mind is planning all the time. So I just sat back and sort of unpacked it and said, okay, well, how do we actually plan? And I discovered this little five phase model that the mind uses in order to go to dinner or to do anything. First of all, there's, it has some sort of intention and, you know, like some purpose, like I'm, I'm hungry. I need to eat or I want to, you know, sign a business deal over dinner or i my romance. You know, right? but there's some sort of intention that drives it. That's, that's the first thing. And then it's, then, it creates a vision of, okay, it's going to look like this. Here's what dinner looks like. But then if you're not at dinner, your vision is not matched by your current reality, then it creates, uh, the need to brainstorm, uh, which is stage three. Uh, well, what shall we call, it? is it, is it raining outside? Shall we invite people to dinner? Where are we going to go? What time? And you, then stage three is a, is sort of the, whereas stage one was the why, stage two is the what, you know, what it will look like. And then stage three is how, but there's how comes in part. Part A and Part B, how Part A is a brainstorming, meaning your mind just starts to free associate ideas that are potentially relevant and meaningful to this outcome. And then stage four, your mind says, okay, wait a minute, let me start to organize those things. So stage four is organizing that thinking into sequences or components or or priorities in terms of the project. And then stage five says, okay, let's pick up the phone and, and you know see if we can get a reservation, is the action. Okay, now I take action based upon that. So if you actually think about how you think, that's that's how people are planning all the time. The problem is is that's not the way a lot of people are approaching planning when they're planning bigger things. When they're trying to explicitly plan, they usually sit down and say, okay, who's got a good idea or how how should we organize this? And that's, that's stage four. That's not stage one. So, you know, the first question is, wait a minute, why are we doing this software? What's the purpose of the software? You know, stage two is what would wild success of this software allow somebody to be able to do? Right. Then stage three is let's get every single potentially wild, crazy, good, bad idea on the, on the planet about this and throw it at the wall. Mm-hmm. And then stage four says, okay, now let's find sort of the key components and okay. And then stage five, Hey, Bill, you're going to handle that little research. So, you know, that's nice if people would do that, but you know, mostly, uh, people tend to, uh, not pay a lot of attention to the why question or to the wild success question or even to the brainstorming question. They just try to go get organized and start moving on things, and oftentimes that doesn't work.
1: Well, David, thank you so much for answering my questions today. If someone follows the getting things done methodology as a business owner, what do you think the result for them will be?
0: Uh, a clear head, uh, space to think, um, and sort of optimal energy to be able to you know put your focus where it needs to be uh, and you know, with absolutely minimal distraction, uh, it, it really allows people to flourish. It creates a condition that people can flourish. And whether you're a rock musician or a CEO of a company or a, a baker or a chef, it allows and because we have all those people or a clergyman. You know, it allows people to then do what they what they love to do, what they want to do, what they find meaningful uh, to be able to really focus on that and to spend most of their time doing those things and get the rest of the world off their back.
1: Brilliant. David, you've shared so much during this interview and you've talked about a lot of things, but I think for anyone to get the maximum benefit, they really need to go out and buy the book and read it. Even if you have the book and have read it, you
0: need yeah. to read it again. Uh, about the fifth time you read it, you'll start to really catch it. Believe me, it's a different book every time you, every time you read it. You know, every, anybody who's ever gone back and read it again. But yes, it's, it is a manual. It's actually easy to, to get into. As you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly simple model and it's quite quite specific in instructions.
1: So where can we go to get the book?
0: Well, in the UK, little Brown is the publisher. Uh, so, uh wherever you can get that, you can get, you know, any of your online bookstores, Amazon and so forth, they should, uh, they, they would have all my, my three books, sure. uh, getting things done is probably the, the most, um, you know, tactical kind of manual for it. The last book, making it all work is a little sort of wider and deeper about the same topics. And my second book was the, just a collection of essays that's kind of fun you know sort of a, a little more of the zen of getting things done uh in that one Sure. anyway uh that's that's the place to go
1: great and where can people go to find out more about you david do you have a website where people can read about you and your story
0: it's davidco.com d-a-v-i-d-c-o dot c o m. yep a lot of cool stuff there
1: great well that's the end of today's episode thank you so much for tuning in everyone And I hope to see you next time. David, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Joey. The Online Marketing
0: Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic. Improving conversion rates. Increasing customer value and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.